Hey, what's up, guys? I'm Jacob Kaufman, and I'm here today with Michael Cheneau. Hello. And we are here for episode 13 of the Nerd on the Street podcast. Um, I will be referring to people to this episode as episode one of the podcast in the future because we're going to be changing how the podcast works. Um, as anyone listening knows, we didn't really have any episodes the past month, month and a half. And that's because, first of all, the podcast is something that's really low priority because, you know, we've got different video series is going on that we have to work on. So the podcast is kind of just a for fun thing on the side, or at least in the past it has been. Um, also, the last episode of the podcast that we recorded, which was, I think it was at least three weeks ago, it might have been a month or more ago, basically none of our stories about our personal lives are really that interesting. Michael, had you listened to any of the, the podcasts? I listened to them in the beginning, but... Towards the end, I kind of stopped listening to him because you said they weren't the best. Yeah, Brett said something. He said, like, a podcast is something that everyone has but nobody wants to listen to, which I kind of think is the same thing with YouTube channels. Everyone's got a YouTube channel, um, but, you know, I don't know. I watch plenty of YouTube, but I know some people who have YouTube channels don't actually watch a lot of YouTube. So it's kind of, you know, you have to add something... Um, of value to your podcast if you want people to listen to them. And us just talking about our daily lives was not anything really of value. The last podcast basically got destroyed because I think I told you this already, Michael, but um, basically I wasted about 30, 25 to 30 minutes on a story that I ended up not wanting to put in the podcast at all because it turned into just me babbling on Adam and Brett really couldn't have cared less about what I was talking about. Um, I was talking about all the reasons why I absolutely hate Grayson. And about 20, 25, 27 minutes in, I was like, guys, this isn't very interesting, is it? And they said no. And I ended up just cutting that. And I, I never even edited episode 13 of the podcast. That was episode 13. This is going to be the new episode 13. So yeah, think of this as episode one, because the podcast is no longer going to be a personal thing. Instead, for personal stuff, we're going to do, I'm going to try and do like a a network vlog type thing. Like, do you watch, do you know what Rooster Teeth Life is? I don't watch Rooster Teeth really at all. I do watch mm. a lot of other people's vlogs and stuff, though. Yeah, Rooster Teeth does something pretty cool where they have like, Everyone in the company just records short little vlog segments and they all send them in and combine them into vlogs, which I think is better than just one person trying to do a vlog because one person's life probably isn't going to be that interesting. But if you have a whole bunch of people doing it, then, you know, you can probably find something interesting to put in. So, yeah, we're going to try and do that. And then I'm going to totally dump all of the work onto our new editor, Michael. More on that in a bit. <laughs> Oh, good to know. Yeah, I mean, we've got to have some uh, some series that you can use to learn and not worry about screwing things up, because I don't want to just have you editing displaced right away, because it's kind of my baby. I uh, want full control over displaced right now. You don't want me editing displaced. Yeah. My editing... Not, not yet. My editing experience involves Windows Movie Maker. That should tell you just about where I'm at. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, you make fun of me for using Linux video editors, but really, 
Yeah, I mean, none of us really have professional experience. Brett, I think, has done some movie maker editing. I think that Drake, um, who is a part of Jabopolis, which is Brett's kind of branch of Nerd on the Street right now, I think that Drake has, he might have, like, Premiere or something. I don't think, I have no idea what he's using, honestly. Um, yeah, actually, I remember Brett telling me, Brett uses some, like, free movie maker he downloaded off the internet because he has windows 8 which did not come with windows movie maker but he found some free thing which probably installed a virus but yeah anyone who we have editing mainstream content we're going to want to get set up with some real video editor and that's what this new podcast is going to really be about is the back end stuff i really like um watching youtube videos and watching like behind the scenes stuff like um rooster teeth has their behind the scenes ruby videos and and like any behind the scenes stuff they do like i watch rt life more for behind the scenes stuff than i do for actual their vlog parts of it um so yeah if anyone wants to know exactly how we do the things that we do then this podcast is going to be where we talk about that kind of stuff the audio production video production um you know website management so yeah that'll be fun yes uh this week just to start it off i thought i would talk about um, and this is going to be a pretty short segment. Um, it, if you had listened to a couple of the podcasts, you know, really everyone can bring segments to the table. Um, and now that Michael is going to be doing some back end stuff, he'll be more useful in this new version of the podcast. Uh, Michael, you're always free to bring in stories about, you know, production stuff that you're doing, but obviously you haven't started yet. So, yeah, I do a lot of like actual, like, I would say like live production stuff with my church just live graphics live camera oh, lighting, yeah. all that stuff and i'm starting to do live audio as well i it's funny i knew that you did that but i like didn't realize that you would have any experience from that but i guess you do have quite a bit of of uh live streaming experience from that yes and it's been really great because the guy our main uh tech guy andy has really like helped t- taught me a lot about it yeah so that's good so yeah if you ever have like you know, things we want to talk about, really. I mean, if you have some for later in the podcast after I'm done with mine, because I'm sure I'm going to burn my story out in about three minutes after I start it. So I will say that when you do uh, stuff in post, it's not as much fun because you don't have stuff break while you got 300 people watching. Yeah, well, stuff in post takes forever to render. Live streaming, it's like it's real time. Um, and it has to be real time because that's why it's live. And I wish that I could, like, tell my... I wish I could trick my video editor into thinking it's live streaming because it shouldn't take more than an hour to render an hour-long video, but it does sometimes because the quality is higher than it would be if I was live streaming. That's uh, why the displaced live stream was so bad. Michael kept talking. He thought that my webcam was really crappy when we did the displaced live stream, and it was, like, uh, you know, 360p. And the reason, it was a 720p webcam, and it was running at 720p. Um, the problem wasn't the webcam. The problem was that we were using um, Adam's MacBook Air to do that live stream. And because his MacBook Air did not have a wired internet connection, I wanted the bitrate to be low enough to go over my Wi-Fi. And so I set the bitrate down to, I think it was 2,000 bytes per second. So, yeah, it was, um, it should have been at around 8,000, really. So the problem wasn't that the resolution was low. The problem was that it was getting compressed so much that it was creating all those graphical artifacts. Yeah, that wasn't the best. And the sad part was, is if I could have gotten there a little bit earlier, 
I had a yeah. MacBook that was wired, but I didn't. I couldn't get there in time. I had to stay a little later at work. Yeah, that was what we were planning on doing. Was using Michael's or the MacBook Pro he had possession of at the time. But yeah, that didn't happen. But you know, I think it was a good live stream anyway. I mean, it's entertaining enough to where you don't need to see every detail. It was more like a video podcast. I just wanted people to see us because I think that we look more professional when we put our faces online. Whereas you have some YouTube channels where you can look through all of their videos and they might have 150 videos, but their face isn't in one of them. Well, I've noticed there's some channels too where it's like a whole like thing that you don't really know what the person looks like. Yeah. I mean, like some of the spammers that we've had in the past, they don't put their faces online. And I do. And it's like, yeah, I, I consider myself, I don't want to say superior to them, but you know, I'm here. I'm a real person. I'm transparent online at least, you know, transparent in terms of who I am and what I'm doing with my channel. So yeah, I, you know, I don't get mad about people seeing my face, obviously, because my face is in every single one of my videos. I think you have a picture on nerdonthestreet.com for your profile picture. That's about it. There's a picture of me on the gaming channel as well, I believe. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's your profile picture. Yeah. Oh, well, you've been in a couple of the, like, the Lenovo laptop review and the, uh, the server. server building video. Yeah. Anyway, what were, were you going to say something about live streaming? Um, live streaming, I don't have a lot of experience with it. I do a lot of live video, but a lot of it's just recorded. We've started doing some live streaming because our church, I go to Faith Lutheran Church. We have another site that's in Illinois right next to us. So we live stream video over to them so that we, nobody has to run a hard drive over there. But other than that, I don't have a lot of experience with live stream. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to do live stream eventually once, once this is a full-time company, but you know, right now it's really out of our, I know you want to do live streaming really bad, but I, it would be a pain to schedule because it needs to be at the same time every week or else people aren't going to know to show up and we can't have everyone be available at the same time every week. Not only that, but to set up a live streaming setup is very expensive and you need a solid internet connection to make it work properly. Yeah, if we wanted to actually like host the server ourselves, then we would need a huge internet connection. When we start doing that is when we can start hosting our own videos for nerdonthestreet.com too, and we can stop embedding things from YouTube. But yeah, I tried doing that. My internet's not quite ready for that either. Well, you have better internet than I do. and <laughs> Yeah. I think mine actually stopped. I'm, I am almost confident mine was being throttled for a while there, because when I would run a speed test, I would have like half a megabyte up or something insane like that my my internet my speed test will say oh you have 40 megabytes per second down and then i would go and download like ubuntu iso and it would be like two megabytes per second and i'm like seriously whenever i do an ios upgrade or a osx upgrade or anything like that it's it, that's it that's all the internet can take <laughs> i can't do anything else yeah, that's uh, probably a good thing then that we'll probably be moving the Minecraft server back over to my house in the near future. Well, then you can fix it too. Yeah, that too. Well, it's, it's um, been relatively stable recently. Yeah, I, it's to the point where like I just don't want to deal with that anymore. I'll start dealing with it a lot more. I'll be a lot more hands-on once I update it again. But, you know, once I... Once I've messed with it enough, then I'm like, I'm not going to mess with it anymore until I update it, because it's just not even worth it. Right now, I think Tyler and then Jabopolis are the only people playing on that server. And obviously, it's important that Brett and his friends can make their videos, but yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, it'd be one thing like if there was more people on it, but it's really just... It's, there's not really anybody on it right now, and 
honestly, the, the server, it sits at like 10% constantly. So I'd like to start editing video on that. Yeah, why well, waste all that processing power? I could just throw it on my, my Mac Pro. How's that thing been holding up? Uh, the Mac Pro has been doing great, especially with the VirtualBox. I'm loving being able to copy my VirtualBox hard drive and then back up the entire website that way because before I had to worry about exporting the MySQL database, I had to um, copy all of the, the web server directory files over, and now I can just copy the one VirtualBox thing over. Um, Mumble is still running on macOS, and displaced Minecraft server is still running on macOS, but everything else is in the mail server and everything is in the VirtualBox window. What version of macOS are you running on there? It is at Lion right now, the highest supported on that version of computer, because it's a 2006 Mac Pro. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, you can make it, I've seen people make those run Yosemite yeah, at this I point. Could. The deal is, I was going to do that if I was going to stick with OS X Server, but instead of doing that, I think I'll just keep it online because I'm using, um, I'm using Debian in VirtualBox, so I don't need to worry about having outdated, um, outdated like packages for Apache and MySQL and PHP because Debian has all the latest versions of that stuff in the VirtualBox window. So it doesn't matter how outdated macOS gets; I'm still going to have all the latest stuff in VirtualBox. Yeah, I guess that's true. I uh, if I sorry, go ahead. If I ever use uh, this is a, always going to be an issue. I'll cut out most of those moments in posts for this. Um, if I ever start using the Mac Pro for personal use, if I ever get like a different server to use, which I can totally do now because now that it's in a VirtualBox window, I could just get another server and start running VirtualBox on that. Um, if I ever use the Mac Pro for personal use, then I'll upgrade it to the maximum that it can actually go, like Yosemite or whatever it is. Yeah, I really do want a Mac Pro just because they're so, they're they're solid machines and they hold a lot of hard yeah. drives. On like because all the new stuff, like I have a the 2012 Mac Mini right now, and, and if I want to do any expansion, because I don't want to use all my USB ports up, it's got to be Thunderbolt, and that's just so expensive. Yeah. It is. It's like FireWire used to be. It's like you pay a premium for it. And there's still FireWire actually on this. I've got FireWire 800, which is... it's a, Oh, is there? Yeah. The 2012, I believe even the newest Mac Minis, I don't know if I'm 100% right on that, have FireWire 800 still, but I'm not sure. Mm. Mine does. I know that for a fact. Have you ever used that? I did use it when I... That MacBook, I... Uh, that was actually... The story behind that MacBook was is it was my pastor's old MacBook. He updated to a MacBook Air... And I pulled his files off, so I just put it in target disk mode and then pulled the files off that way because it was the easiest way. Hmm. He had already backed it up, so I didn't. I just was taking them just in case he needed them, so I didn't want to. Yeah. So I wasn't doing whatever. I forgot what it's called, where you just do it with the Ethernet a migration assistant or whatever. I I didn't do that. I just yeah. just was taking his home folder just in case. No, yeah, I'm the same way. I uh, I don't mess with like backup utilities on my Linux distros. I just copy the home folder because that way I know exactly what I'm doing. I did some research on that backup utility, and it seems like it worked for most people, but it it had a tendency to crash sometimes too, and that would have sucked. <laughs> yeah, my problem with Linux backup utilities, I know like if you use Time Machine, it's going to work, and if you use like whatever comes with Windows, it's going to work. There isn't a standard for Linux though. Um, there's all kinds of open options that you can do and I'm sure most of them are great and I know some of them like rsync is a standard and that will work but I don't know how to use rsync and like a lot of the GUI programs I don't know what some of the newer ones are but one of the older ones was called like deja dupe or something and the problem with those are they store your files in it's not a proprietary format but it's like a format that only that program uses so if that program ever stops getting updated 
then I might or might not be able to access my backups. So if I just copy the files over, then then I know I can always get to them. Yeah, I'm really bad about backing up stuff at my home, but I don't have anything other than my phone. I back that up, but that's about it. <laughs> I don't. My computer's mm. not backed up. See, for me personally, I would still rather have a network attached storage or something with a RAID array. And then, I mean, I know that's more money and everything, but oh yeah, I'd much rather have network attached storage doing it all. Um, but yeah, I don't have that set up right now. You know, I probably could set that up with a like just take one of my Dell Dimensions and put FreeNAS on it or something and attach my because I've got two three terabyte external hard drives sitting on my desk. They're just connected to my Linux computer. They're not connected to like a networked thing. Well, the G3, that thing's still running. That's been great just for shooting files from computer to computer, not messing with flash drives or anything like that. Yeah, I'd want something with like USB 3 or SATA or something if I was going to do that for like day-to-day backup. But yeah, then I'd have to mess with R-Sync. I'd have to mess with like I, I don't uh, like automation. It doesn't automate it on Linux that like you have to learn how to automate it with systemd or whatever, which I could do or I could just copy the files like just like I could automate updates on the server or I could just run the update manager myself every week. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Back to I guess I'll talk about music. Um, another thing I was using the Mac Pro for was I was using it for GarageBand and I was using that for Displaced because Displaced, I have background music for every episode. And we also have like the intro and outro that I made music for and or at least the intro has music. So in the past, I've always edited Displaced on my Linux workstation and I use Kden Live for most of the editing. I know I say that I use OpenShot for special effects. Most of the special effects I've done in Displaced have been through just Kden Live. Um, OpenShot, I really only use for intros now. And uh, Displaced didn't really have any fancy intros I had to do. So yeah, everything has gone through the video editor, Kaden Live. And then after I, what I do is I edit the the video that we record. Because I'll have like a 20 minute video Minecraft recording. And I'll have like a 2 minute audio clip. And I'll edit those in Kaden Live to where the video matches the audio. And then I'll render that. And then I'll put it in another Kaden Live project and I'll add the intro and outro and I'll render that and then I have a no music file. Um, first I tried just moving the no music file over to the Mac Pro but since it's running like VirtualBox and everything that was going kind of slow. So what I do is I run it through Handbrake. Do you know what Handbrake is? I know what it is. I don't really know what it's used for. It's for compressing video, isn't it? Yeah. So I run it through Handbrake and I compress it down and I render it down to like 320p or something stupid like that. Because all I need is the audio, I don't really need the video um, for music production. So I would copy that over over my network to my Mac Pro, because I do have the Mac Pro set up to where it's got networked folders. It's just it's just not like fluid enough to use for day-to-day backups. So yeah, I would copy it over to the Mac Pro and then import that video into GarageBand, make a song over it, and then export the song and then copy that back over to the Linux workstation. And instead of doing all of that, I finally found a Linux-based or a Linux-centric music program that I could use. So I don't have to use GarageBand anymore. What was the name of that new software? It's called Linux Multimedia Studio. LMMS is what it's normally stylized as. And yeah, it's absolutely great. There are plenty of MIDI programs for Linux that will let you do music production. The problem is... GarageBand has, you can like input 
notes in it without having a physical keyboard. You can go into GarageBand and click on the different notes. Most of the MIDI programs available for Linux, there's no interface to click on notes. You have to have a MIDI keyboard that you can plug into a PCI card on your computer, and then you have to input through that. But Linux Multimedia Studio has input controls for notes that you can use with your mouse. So that's really great. So I can make songs and stuff without a MIDI keyboard because I think I have a keyboard that I could plug in for MIDI, but I don't have like a MIDI cord for it. So yeah, um, Linux Multimedia Studio, it reads sound font files, which is another reason that I wanted to get away from GarageBand. GarageBand has a number of built-in instruments. Have you used GarageBand like for any projects or anything? I've never had to create music for anything. I've, I've played with GarageBand, and I've also I've played with Logic as well, but I've never actually used them to create anything. I've just messed around with them. Yeah. Um, when, when I play with GarageBand, like in the Apple Store, usually I use like the pre-made loops that they have. But when you're making music from scratch, you really don't want to use loops. You want to use just the instruments. And GarageBand has instrument files for synthesizers and guitars, and that's about it. Um, they don't have any, they, they've got like basic woodwind and brass sounds, but they're really, really computery and they sound like they're like synthesizers rather than actual instruments. Um, so I, the thing that uh, like finally tipped me over the edge and got me to stop using GarageBand was I wanted a glockenspiel for like, it was so dumb. It was like six notes I wanted at the end of a displaced episode. I wanted a glockenspiel. Uh, for six notes, and I played with GarageBand. It, it, you can customize all the instruments in GarageBand, so I thought maybe if I take one of these synthesizers and take away a bunch of the effects and add a bunch of other effects, I can get a bell set. And I played with it for like an hour and a half, two hours, and I could not get a freaking bell set out of it. So I was like, screw that. Um, and after I downloaded like three programs on my Linux workstation, I found Linux Multimedia Studio, and it uses sound font files, which um, they're basically files you can get that have a standard set of instruments. And it's like every sound font file has the same set of instruments, but all of the sound font files sound different. So I found a free open source sound font file in the Ubuntu repositories, downloaded that. And so now I'm using that. And it's got bell sets, it's got all of the standard band instruments all of the standard orchestra instruments, so I've been using that, and that's great. So yeah, I don't think you've seen, what was the latest Displaced episode that's been uploaded? Episode 9? I believe it was 9, which I watched last night. Yeah. Yeah, so up to episode 9 um, with GarageBand, I was making the music, and what I had been doing was I was importing the video, like I said, and I was making a song that was about the same length as the video. And I thought that that was the best way to go, just making background music. What did you think of the music so far? I thought the music was uh, it was pretty good. I Again, not much experience in the music side of things with the videos and stuff, but I didn't think it was bad or anything like that. Yeah, I, I listen to it so much before I'm done with it that sometimes I just don't know if it's having like the desired effect or like Brett said it was too loud in the first couple episodes but it didn't sound too loud to me but yeah I had been making songs that would last the entire episode and be in the background and a couple of good things about that were um, sometimes we had bumps in the microphone I tried to make it so that there were no like 
you know, clicks or anything happening in the microphone. But sometimes somebody would be coughing in the background or sometimes there would be like a page turn in the background. And the music covers that up when you have music through the whole the whole thing. Then it just, you know, just it's noise in the background. You can't tell as much as if it was just like plain silence and then someone knocking the microphone, then you'd be able to tell a whole lot more. But yeah, I didn't like how that was working because I found that what I was doing for the music throughout the entire episode was I was making like one, like four bar tune and I was just repeating that tune with different instruments and different keys the entire time. And that was getting really repetitive. Um, also, it was taking a whole lot of time to do. And, you know, if you watch Red vs. Blue, they have background music, but they don't have background music at every single part. They have background music when there's action scenes or when there's, like, transitions. And the the purpose of music, at least in terms of video production, the purpose of music is to evoke emotion. And I was watching, I was watching Displaced with my sister, Kirsten. She helped us animate a couple of the earlier episodes. And she said it felt like it was supposed to be suspenseful, every single episode, even though nothing suspenseful was really happening. They were just walking around the facilities and um, looking for information. But there was always this really suspenseful music in the background. That was, I didn't want to burn people out on the music because if you listen to, you know, 20 episodes of suspenseful music with regular episodes and then episode 21 is supposed to be actually suspenseful, then there's nowhere I can really go in terms of music to grow from that. So episode 10 was the first episode I used Linux Multimedia Studio for. And also episode 10 was the first episode where you will not hear music throughout the entire thing. You'll hear a little bit of music at the beginning, and then you'll hear some music while the people are walking and not talking. And then you'll hear a little bit of music at the end. Um, But aside from that, there's not music throughout most of their conversation. So yeah, I'm going to see what people think of that. Yeah, I'll have to be more careful about the audio production because we can't have like, like I said, like page turns or if you if uh, it was really bad, Adam would say a line and then immediately breathe out and you could really hear like the breath cutting off if there wasn't music there. So yeah, I'll just have to go into Audacity and touch up some of the music or some of the voice acting files. But yeah, that music style will be changing in episode 10. Something we might want to play with, uh, Speaking of like all those noises in the background for the next season is um, I believe it's called gate. And what that does is I, again, I am not a professional at this by any means. I am just kind of self-taught and as well as uh, by people at my church, the gate, I believe is you, you set it at a threshold and any noise below that threshold will not register in the mic that you, it's only like when someone talks or something like that, will the audio actually go through? Yeah, and I tried doing that with Audacity. It, it's got an effect. You can set a gate on pre-recorded things. The problem I have with that is um, it does like get rid of if he says something and then breathes out, then it you know it will cut off the breath when he stops talking, but you can still hear it cut off. Um, and whenever he is talking, there's no like it doesn't remove background noise. It just doesn't have noise there when nobody's talking. So like if there's like clicking in the background and then somebody's talking and the clicking's always there. Um, Gate will remove the clicking when nobody's talking, but it'll still be there when people are talking. So that does make it easier because I don't have to manually go through and like cut out noise in between lines, but it doesn't really stop things that are happening while people are talking, which is really the problem 
when we're doing um, Audacity. I don't leave the Audacity track on the entire time. What I did was I cut out individual lines and pasted them into a new project. So yeah, um, there wasn't like noise in between lines. It was just during lines that was the problem. Yeah, and again, most of my experience is more with live music and live stuff on a stage, not so much, you know, going back in afterwards yeah. and messing with it. Yeah, that would be, gate would be something we'd want to do if we were doing, um, like, live streaming so that there wasn't background noise while one person was talking, the other person's microphone isn't having background noise, or to eliminate, like, echo from multiple microphones at the same time. So, yeah, that's how the music in Displaced will be changing. The Linux Multimedia Studio project has, they've got kind of two websites right now. One of them looks newer than the other one but they both are updated with the latest version, so I don't know which one I'm supposed to tell people. The old website is lmms.sourceforge.net. The new one is lmms.io, and the newer one looks a lot nicer. So I'll put both of those down in the link dump for the podcast, and you can check those out. I thought it was interesting. The program is called Linux Multimedia Studio, but as of version 1.0, they have Linux and Windows downloads, and there's also a beta Mac version too. And OpenShot Video Editor is doing the same thing. OpenShot's a really big video editor in the Linux community, and they used to just be Linux, and now they've got Windows and Mac versions too with their new overhauled version. So yeah, uh, I guess that's the end of that segment. Anything else that you, you can think to talk about? These podcasts might be a little shorter than the old ones. Um, but yeah, I'm hoping that we'll be able to find some interesting things to talk about so it's not just me ranting every week. Because that's that was what the old podcast was, was just me ranting every week. I want these to actually be about stuff. We can talk about live production for a little while if you wanted to. What about it? Just like some of the elements of it, stuff like that. Hmm. Well, um, what what I always do for live streaming, I know when you talk about live streaming... You're talking about actually having like the the server that the video is being streamed from in front of you, right? Uh, no. Uh, we use live stream, the service live stream. Oh, the service live stream. Yes. Oh, I thought you were talking about. Okay, yeah. No, I used to use the service live stream too. Yeah, yeah. We actually we do it a couple of ways. We have we either do it through a MacBook Pro or we we also have a live stream box, the the red live stream box, which is actually it. it I found it to be kind of buggy. It's it's crashed on me several times. It like won't detect the internet connection, and I don't know if that's just our setup at our church or what. But the the software just running it off of a computer has been solid. Hmm. Do you know what the difference is between the old live stream and the new live stream? I don't. I only have experience with the newer live stream. So, but you think you're using the new like platform? Uh. I'm not 100% because uh, everybody at our church has a habit. I think our main Mac Pro is still running like Mountain Lion or something like that. So that shows you how much we update things. Uh, yeah. So well, it, it has more to do with like which there's – they've got two web platforms. You can send your video to the old platform or to the new platform. They're probably using the new platform if they've got one of those boxes. Yeah, I'm sure we are using the new platform for that. But I'm, I can't be 100%. Uh, I used to use the old platform, and I loved the old platform because they had a really great, this is going to sound weird, they had a really great Flash application, which you'd think would be an oxymoron. But yeah, they... 
That was a joke. I know. So, yeah, this is why you weren't on the older podcasts, but, you know, now it's okay. Um, yeah, so the older version of live stream, you could pull up this Flash website on multiple different computers. And, like, let's say I had my sister's laptop and my laptop. I could open up the Flash application on both laptops, and I could switch between the webcams from either laptop. And I know that sounds, like, really dumb compared to your church has, like, professional professional cameras and professional streaming servers. But when I was just like trying to get a webcam out, being able to get two webcams live streamed and being able to switch between them, it really, really was more professional than like Ustream only let me do one webcam at a time or, you know, one webcam per stream. Um, the new live stream does not have a flash-based or their their new live stream web interface might be flash-based, but it does not let you do multiple computers anymore. Also, the old one was channel-based, so it was like I had the Nerd on the Street channel and I would go live on the same channel all the time. The new one, every time you live stream, it makes a new page for it. So, like for something like your like the church sermons, that makes sense because you want a separate page for every different live stream that you do. But for like when I'm doing casual live streaming, I don't want to have to go to the nerdonthestreet.com live page and embed a new video player every time I want to do a different live stream. Yeah. And uh, you were talking about having, you know, like multiple cameras for yeah. for something like that. Uh, when we do that, we have a hardware video switcher, which in my opinion, it's yeah. always better than doing software. But again, it's more expensive. Like we have like the cheapest switcher you can buy and it's still a thousand dollars. It's the, uh, Blackmagic Design ATEM Television Studio, which is a great piece of equipment, but again, it's not the best out there, but it just gets so expensive so fast when you're doing any of yeah. that stuff, and uh, we use Sony video cameras. I don't remember what the series is, but they're uh, nice Sony video cameras, and uh, and then for any graphics that we do, we uh, we use ProPresenter 4, and uh, there's... Uh, SDI out, which I don't know if you do you have any experience with SDI at all, Jacob? No, I don't even know what it looks like. SDI, it's coax. It's digital, ah. S, uh, serial digital interface, uh, digital video over coax. And then that goes, we have a Blackmagic Design Desolate card in that Mac Pro. And then going to the video switcher and also one from the Sony camera down on the ground into that switcher. And then we send those video. it's split. I think it's recorded from USB off of that switcher into a MacBook, and then we also send program out to our two front projectors. So yeah, the, the MacBook just transmits the information. You're actually doing the switching on the hardware box. Yeah, it's a uh, like a 1U rack mount uh, piece of equipment, and then all your inputs go there. And then you have another computer that is used for controlling the switcher. Mm, yeah, that's how you want to do it for like professional setups. And even if I would have had, like, more than one camera to plug into a computer, you've got, like, we were using CamTwist on Adam's laptop. If I had more than one webcam, we could have switched between cameras on CamTwist. Um, but the reason why the live stream, the old live stream platform was so great was because you could switch between not only multiple cameras, but multiple computers. Uh, which, again, I know it makes, like, absolutely no sense that you would want to do that. Uh, looking from where we are now, now that we actually know about all the different options that are available. But back when I was just starting out and wanting to have as many fancy things as possible, being able to switch between multiple computers without having to buy a single piece of hardware or software was really cool. 
But yeah, the new version doesn't do that. So that's why I stopped using live stream and I either use Daily Motion or YouTube now. Yeah, all of this stuff has made me hate HDMI with a passion because of DHCP. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I don't remember what DHCP stands for, but it's that protocol that like if it sees like a bad, it's for copyright protection, but it just wreaks havoc when you're trying to do anything with it. And that's why SDI is so great. It's so much more expensive, but the reason people use it is because it doesn't have all those issues with like sources just disappearing and just connection issues and you can run it a lot farther as well. I think HDMI, it's like not recommended to go over like 50 feet. And on that switcher that we have, you're not supposed to go over 15 feet. SDI, you can run like 300 feet and it's not a problem at all. And SDI is probably analog, whereas HDMI is digital, right? No, SDI is digital. It's uh, oh. it's one single, uh, do you remember component, the green, red, and blue cables? Yeah. That's, that's analog and uh, when you do it professionally, it was usually BNC, coax, but SDI um, is a digital signal sent over a coax cable. So coax, that means there's only one wire in it, right? Yeah, it's got, well, it's got the middle wire, and then it's surrounded by, like, plastic, and then there's, like, a shield on it, which is metal. Yeah. So I would guess, you know, HDMI has, like, a ton of pins, so I would guess the reason why you can run SDI longer is because SDI only has the one wire to to send stuff through so it can make stronger signals whereas hdmi has to send all of the different pin signals through well hdmi is actually twisted pair it's like it's similar to ethernet which is just not good for sending video at all well hmm i'm looking at a at a diagram of it yeah yeah i see what you're talking about with the twisted pair so yeah um yeah, I don't use HDMI for, or I don't like using HDMI for any of my stuff, too. It, it's also a really fragile connector, HDMI. Uh, micro HDMI is better, but the full-size HDMI, you bump that, you're going to rip the, the plug off and just get it stuck in whatever it's plugged into. Oh, yeah, I haven't had that happen yet, but Cause with the could potentially be an issue. I have to think about it. Yeah, well, also with HD, uh, SDI, sorry, it's a locking connector, so you push it in and you lock it with the BNC, and it's not going to come out. Oh, yeah, that's fancy. A little expensive for our budget right now, but <laughs> hey, we can hope. Yeah, <laughs> eventually. <laughs> yeah, right now, we would be lucky to uh, to get a decent upload connection to go through Ustream or something with. But yeah, um, so... You guys use Livestream, so what you do is you send the video to Livestream, and then Livestream sends it to all of your the people who are watching it. Yes, and right now it's not – that is our eventual goal, to have people watch it live. But right now it's more of a – it's so we can get video to our other church, our other yeah. campus. But uh, eventually I believe the goal is – because we just had our internet connection upgraded. It's like 20, 20 down, 20 up or something like that. And it's amazing. <laughs> Wish I had that kind of speed, but – I don't feel like paying charter a thousand dollars a month. Yeah. Um, so you pay live stream like a, a monthly or annual fee for that. I'm sure they do. I, I'm not really sure. I'm just, I'm just kind of running the stuff. I don't really know. What everything <laughs> yeah. Costs. yeah. I don't mean you personally, you obviously aren't running the whole show, but, but yeah, they pay for that, uh, a recurring fee for live stream because what they're doing is they're sending one copy of the video to live stream and live stream sends it to whoever's watching it, be it one person or 20 people or a hundred people. Um, if they were, if you're, if the church was hosting their own live stream server, 
then they would have to send a a stream of the video to every single person tuning in, which would require even more of an internet connection, which is why they probably don't do it, or is probably why they don't do it. Yeah, where we live, it is like impossible to get a decent internet connection unless you're willing to pay charter to run a fiber optic line to your place of business. Yeah, yeah, you'd think, like, I don't know why Austin, Texas is so darn important, yet St. Louis, the freaking middle of the country, has nothing. Yeah, they've got Fios, they've got Google Fiber, they've got uh, AT&T's new fiber optic network, they got everything. <laughs> well, well, we'll deal with it for now. Well, Google Fiber... Uh, what was I... Google Fiber's not that far away, is it? It's in Kansas City? It's in Kansas City, but the thing is, like, it's not... I don't think it's a a problem of physical location. I think it's a problem of like they need to know that a certain percentage of the population of a city is going to be interested or else it won't be worth their time and money there. Well, they got two. I can guarantee them that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, Google Fiber, actually, you're not allowed to use it for a business yet, though. It's still home only, residential only. Well, I didn't read the contract. Whoops. Yeah, that's... You know, I'm sure they wouldn't be able to really, like, tell what you're using it for because th they say they don't track it any more than any other ISP does. But um, if they give you a dynamic IP address or something, then it would be a problem. Yeah, it would be. So, yeah, I was going to say something about live streaming. Don't really remember what I was... I guess I was going to talk about, yeah, you need some... the Anything before your your video stream is up to you like you can have a webcam plugging into your computer or you can have three professional studio cameras running into a mixer running into a computer but you set up whatever you want to be streamed in some sort of video setup and then you run it into it has to get somehow between it has to get from your video stream to the streaming server which if you're using live stream the streaming server would be live stream for me, I have to get it from my computer to YouTube servers, so I just upload it to YouTube, and then YouTube copies it and sends it to everyone else. Um, and that's where you have to know about like bit rates and like the different encoding options that will work with live streaming and what won't. But yeah, well, we can talk about we can have a dedicated podcast sometime to live streaming because I would have to actually research it beforehand. But yeah, for now, I guess that's all. I thought I would have more to say on the music, but really. Yeah, the new music setup for Displaced is meant to not overuse music. It's meant to more... It saves the emotional parts for the parts that are actually supposed to be emotional, like the, the end credits or like the, the cinematic scenes. We're going to have to start shooting more cinematic scenes because, first of all, the episodes for Displaced have been getting way too short, and which is partially my fault for writing, but also because all we've been shooting is you guys walking around and talking, and we don't actually shoot the cinematic stuff at all. And then, um, yeah, there, now that we don't have music while you guys are talking, we're going to need cinematic scenes for music to be in. So we'll have to start shooting more transitions and just like, I really want to focus on the sets more because we built some really cool sets for Displaced and I feel like they're not getting the attention that they're supposed to be getting. You know the, the floor of Homeworld Command that's got the, the lights in it? Yes. And do you know what those lights are for? Uh... I don't remember. What, what it's supposed to be for is when you want to go somewhere, you ask the computer to point you, like to take you there, and then the computer lights up the lights on the floor to align from you to where you're going. Oh, okay. 
And that was such a cool idea, I thought. And then and then we built it so that we could do that. And then we haven't really we've been turning on the lights between episodes to where they're supposed to be, but we never show the hallway or we hardly ever show the hallway. Um so yeah, we're I'm going to try and add more cinematics, more just walking around, more stuff showing off the sets because once season one ends and they're not anymore, spoiler alert, nobody listens to this anyway, but once season one ends, we're not really going to be using any of these sets anymore, so we want to show them off now because we spent so much time building them. Yeah, you guys spent like a solid, what was it, a solid week of just nothing but building sets when we were in Hawaii, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and then there was... We weren't even half done with the season when you guys got back. We were far enough to start things. You know, originally I wanted to get all the displaced done over the summer. Obviously that didn't happen. But yeah, I still need to build Cheyenne Mountain. So that'll be fun. Yeah, that'll take a little while. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, because I want that to be like the biggest set because it's going to be the last one that we see uh, this season. But yeah, Um, so that's what's coming with displaced. More cinematics so that we can use music better. That's all for this episode of the podcast. We do have forums at nerdonthestreet.com if you want to talk about video production. You know, I in the past, I didn't really want people talking about their own websites or channels on YouTube or on, on nerdonthestreet.com because they would be competing with us. But at this point, I just love anyone at all to go to that website because we don't have really many people on the forums right now. So yeah, uh, talk to us on the forums at nerdonthestreet.com. I'm Jacob Kaufman. I'm Michael Chanel. And we'll see you guys later. Bye. Bye.